Even more accusers have come forward now to say that they were molested and assaulted by presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. In a tearful interview given to CNN, former media beauty queen The First Amendment told reporters, quote, I was sitting around minding my own business, protecting people's God-given right to express their opinions, when suddenly Mrs. Clinton began manhandling me and roughing me up. I seriously thought she was going to tear me to pieces. This didn't happen just one time, but over and over. And now that I've come forward, I have to tell you, I fear for my life, unquote. The curvaceous blonde amendment went on to say, quote, I felt so ashamed about the way Mrs. Clinton treated me that I didn't come forward right away, but I think now that she's running for the highest office in the land, I have to speak. She was out of control and kept muttering something about how Citizens United allowed people to broadcast a documentary criticizing her, and she was going to make sure that never happened again, and then she just kept mauling me, unquote. That accusation came just days after the Second Amendment came forward to the New York Times, a former newspaper. Miss Second accused Mrs. Clinton of violently attacking her in public. If she just wanted to rape me repeatedly, Miss Second said, I might have kept it to myself, but I really think she's trying to kill me. The way I understand it, she wants rich, powerful people like herself to be protected by guns, but she wants to keep guns away from ordinary citizens because she's afraid they might protect me from people like her, unquote. Mrs. Clinton has repeatedly denied the allegations of misconduct, saying, quote, this is just a vast right-wing conspiracy, like that whole thing about Bill having affairs and committing rape and me persecuting his accusers. It's an old story, and it's been covered and covered, and it's time to move on. I have nothing but respect for amendments. In fact, some of my best friends are amendments. I'm telling the truth. No, really, I am. This isn't like all those other times. Really, this is the truth this time. No, really, unquote. Even as Mrs. Clinton was making her denials, however, another accuser was coming forward. In an emotional interview with Huffington Post, the rule of law told reporters that Mrs. Clinton had, quote, ruined my life, unquote. I used to be beautiful, Miss Rule of Law said. All the guys at the Justice Department and the FBI were crazy about me. But now they've all turned against me to protect Mrs. Clinton. She abused me. She raped me. She sodomized me. Now look at me. I'm a mess. The interview ended with Miss Rule of Law sobbing helplessly. While other accusers, including the Fifth Amendment and the perjury laws, have come forward to say Mrs. Clinton abused them as well, many journalists say their stories won't get much coverage. New York Times editor Blithering Prevarication III told Meet the Press, Stories about the Constitution are all well and good, but here at the Times, we're mostly just into tits and ass. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a zing It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. <laughs> hooray, hurrah, the Clavenless weekend is over, although I think for some time now, the Clavenless weekend is just going to extend every day. <laughs> even when I'm here, it's like a Clavenless weekend. It's even... It's even raining in L.A. I mean, in L.A., this is like, you know, when it rains in L.A., it's like, you know, waterfall from magic place in sky. We don't see this. You know, normally we would sacrifice a virgin to make it stop, but this is L.A., so you can't find one. Uh, so then so the press, the press, the poor media is being picked on. 
The media are being picked on, since that's a plural. They are being picked on. They're being yelled at. People think they're corrupt just because they're corrupt. People think they're dishonest just because they're dishonest. What is going on? The New York Times ran this story, at least it's on the front page of my app. I don't know if it's on the front page of the uh, Dead Tree edition. Criticism of the news media takes on a more sinister tone. This is getting... And here, here it starts. It says... It sure does get exhausting working for the global corporate media conspiracy. Har, har, har. That's the lead. The hours are horrible. You never know what the puppet masters are going to order up next, and there's no extra combat pay when at this point there clearly should be. I probably shouldn't joke, and yes, Twitter, that's what I'm doing. The anger being directed at the news media has become dangerous enough that some news organizations are providing security for staff members covering Trump rallies. Someone's going to get hurt has become a common refrain in American newsrooms. Too bad. It is too bad. I mean, that is that is a very, very sad thing just for a bunch of lying, corrupt people being run by corporate interests. I mean, I mean why would anybody turn to a bunch of lying, corrupt journalists being run by corporate interests, completely biased on one side of the political spectrum, and call them completely biased, corrupt news media, you know, journalists? Here is from Cheryl Atkinson, who I always love because she's one of the best invest broadcast investigative reporters in the country. She was with CBS. She ran lots and lots of stories about bad things in the George W. Bush administration. Obama came in and her stories started to get killed. So she was running stories about Benghazi, about the fast and furious uh, gun running stuff, and they just would kill him. They'd go up the line and suddenly middle management would kill her stories. And so she had to quit. And now she's operating on, on her own as an independent. I've heard her speak I didn't consider her particularly conservative. She was not informed on conservative issues as far as I was concerned. She just doesn't like powerful people, and she wants to expose them, which is what journalists are supposed to do instead of what they are doing. Here's Cheryl Atkinson. The following accounts come from Human Sources, Freedom of Information Act documents, and WikiLeaks email. Here is a list, a partial list, because I'm not going to read the whole thing, of the collusion between the mainstream media and our friends on the left, the Democrat Party. The State Department considered AP reporters Matt Lee and Bradley Clapper friendlies and planned to place Hillary Clinton email stories with them and dictate the timing of their release. That's the Associated Press. Mark Ambidner from The Atlantic asked a Hillary Clinton aide for advanced text of a speech. The aide dictated conditions, including, one, you in your own voice have to describe Hillary's words as muscular to which Ambinder agreed, okay? They told him how to describe Hillary. Ambinder formerly worked for ABC, CBS, and National Journal. CNBC anchor John Harwood, who moderated a presidential debate between Trump and Clinton, appears to have offered helpful thoughts and analyses to the Clinton campaign. The Clinton campaign emailed that CNN politics producer Dan Merica and Clinton were basically courting each other. In an email, Democratic National Committee Chair Donna Brazile then a CNN contributor said she obtained an advanced presidential debate question and passed it on to the Hillary campaign. Brian Stelter at the New York Times, who's now at CNN, and we're going to come back to him, he was helpful in publishing the Media Matters narrative, a source told Daily Caller. Media Matters is the hit of the anti-left, uh, the, the left-wing hit organization. 
New York Times reporter Mark Lebovich gave Hillary Clinton the opportunity to approve or veto her quotes. He later explained that was because he agreed to make the original interview on the record and required her approval to use selected pieces of it. Staffers at Media Matters say they knew they could dump stuff to Ben Smith, formerly of Politico, now editor-in-chief at BuzzFeed, according to Daily Caller. Ben Smith, this is a quote, Ben Smith will take stories and write what you want him to write. And finally, Democratic National Committee officials discussed placing a story with the Washington Post Greg Sargent to put a positive spin on some bad news for Hillary Clinton. Gee, and, and, and this annoys people on the right? I know, I can't understand it. Just, be, just because we're being, you know, I, I want to start today with Ken Bone. Okay, Ken Bone, Ken Bone, Ken Drybone. Okay, Ken Bone, you will remember, is the guy who stood up and asked a question at the debate. Here he is at the debate. We have one more question from Ken Bone about uh, energy policy. Ken? What steps will your energy policy take to meet our energy needs while at the same time remaining environmentally friendly? and minimizing job loss for fossil power plant workers. Mr. Trump, two minutes. Absolutely. I think it's such a great question. Okay. So something about the sweater, the glasses, the mustache, the comb over, just he just looked like kind of this fuzzy, sweet, nice little guy, which I'm sure he is, right? So Jimmy Kimmel, he becomes a star. Jimmy Kimmel has him on. Here he is with Kimmel. Joining us now from St. Louis on our big Cisco screen, the wall of the I'm doing well, and I'm very grateful for you uh, to you for spending time with us tonight. Do you have any idea of how adorable you are? First, I, I want to say. Uh, that's a definitive yes. Yes. Okay. Good. <laughs> so when I saw you last night, I was immediately emailing our producers on the show to try to get you. When did you find out that you'd suddenly become famous? Uh, we weren't allowed to have our phones or any electronic devices with us. So when I turned my phone back on, when I got back to my car at about 10:15 uh, Central, and I had a few thousand missed messages, I started to think that maybe uh, today was going to be a long day. <laughs> Did you know your fans are now calling themselves boneheads? That's fantastic. I've been calling my family that for years. All right, cute little story, right? L little fuzzy guy gets up, asks a question. He's talking about the environment and energy and stuff like this. So it's like an actual question as opposed to who said what to whom and who's grabbing who by the what. You know, so everybody just went like there were all these funny Twitters going, you know, the world can only be saved by the fuzzy red sweater of, of Ken Bone. And Bone's not allowed to take the sweater off whenever he appears. He has to be in this red sweater. Okay, then they start to look and he has a Reddit account. And he says at one point, that the Trayvon Martin shooting was justified, but George Zimmerman didn't seem like a very nice person. That was not exactly the way he put it. The press now starts to investigate this guy, okay? They start to investigate Ken Bone. And, and this, I, the reason I'm bringing this up is because this is deeply, deeply offensive. And they find out on Reddit he said he looked at Jennifer Lawrence's nude pictures. Let me tell you something. There are two kinds of guys who didn't look at Jennifer Lawrence's nude pictures, homosexuals and liars. Those are the two, okay? Because we all looked at Jennifer Lawrence. Not some, not some, not everybody but your husband. All of us looked at Jennifer Lawrence's nude pictures, and they were great. They were terrific. So he says he watches porn, and he's happy he got a vasectomy because now he doesn't have to wear a condom. With his wife, by the way. He's like, you know, the guy, the guy's sleeping with his wife. You know, by the way, what happens if you say that porn should be censored? What does the left say about you then? Then the left says, oh, you're a Puritan, you're a 
Christian, you know, horrible Nazi. And then if you look at porn, it's suddenly, oh, now we can expose you because you thought Trayvon Martin, when he was slamming George Zimmerman's head against a curbstone, deserved a bullet in the face. You know, I mean, come on. This is, this is, the guy is, you're not allowed to have an opinion. And what they say, what they say is, well, now he found out what it's like to be famous. That's not true. What he found out is what it's like to be famous when you have an opinion that is not sanctioned by our Nazi press. And, the, you know, they're, they're complaining about the fact that Trump's followers have swastikas in CNN, and our friend John Nolte has his, his Twitter handle is CNN is Hitler, which I think is hilarious. But the thing is, it's fascist to do this to an ordinary guy. And don't tell me they did it to Joe the plumber. You know, they did it to uh, and they didn't do it to Cindy Sheehan. Remember Cindy Sheehan, the anti-war press protester who had lost uh, who had lost a son overseas. And Maureen Dowd said, oh, well, she has absolute moral authority because she lost a son overseas. And then when she started protesting the war and Obama was president, she vanished. She was on the front page. And yeah, they always have these excuses. Well, it's summer. We had nothing else to report. So we're reporting on Cindy Sheehan's protest. They always have excuses for why they're biased to the left, but they never need excuses for why they're biased to the right because they never are. And the thing is, Let's go back for a minute to Joe the Plumber. Remember what happened with Joe the Plumber? He got four, He came up to um, Obama and said, how come I'm getting taxed more? And Obama said, I'm taxing people, people over $250,000 who make over. Well, let's watch it. Here it is. My attitude is that if, if the economy is good for folks from the bottom up, it's going to be good for everybody. If you've got a plumbing business, uh, you're going to be better off if you've got a whole bunch of customers who can afford to hire you. And right now... Everybody's so pinched that business is bad for everybody. And, and I think when you spread the wealth around, it's good for everybody. So he exposed Obama for being a socialist, which Obama is. And so they investigated Joe the plumber. The guy's a plumber. He asked the question. He st stepped up and asked the question. They do not do this to you if you're on the left. It does not happen. And the other thing about that. I just want to reiterate, because Hillary Clinton said the exact same thing at the debates. Over 250000 I'm going to tax you because that's where the money is. Let's, let's just play that clip. Have we got that? I have said nobody who makes less than $250,000 a year, and that's the vast majority of Americans, as you know, will have their taxes raised. Because I think we've got to go where the money is. And the money is with people who've taken advantage of every single break in the tax code. And yes, when I was a senator, I did vote to close corporate loopholes. I voted to close, I think, one of the loopholes he took advantage of when he claimed a billion dollar uh, loss that enabled him to avoid paying taxes. I want to have a tax on people who are making a million dollars. It's called the Buffett rule. Yes, Warren Buffett is the one who's gone out and said somebody like him should not be paying a lower tax rate than his secretary. I want to have a surcharge on incomes above $5 million. We have to make up for lost times because I want to invest in you. Okay, here's the worst thing the press never does. They never question the premises of the left. They never question the premise of the left. Let's just think about this for a minute, what she just said. First, I know this is... This is an unpopular. Oh, I have to say goodbye to Facebook because you, you know, I wouldn't have to say goodbye if you would subscribe. If you would subscribe, you could come over to the Daily Wire and watch the whole thing. You cheap people. Come on. Subscribe and come over. So the press never questions the premises. I mean, what she said should have been 
completely dis- dissected on every talk show in America, and should she should have been questioned about it. Here's why. First, let's make this one point. This is a very unpopular point. I know most people don't make anywhere near $250,000 a year. But if you live in certain parts of Los Angeles and New York and certain cities in this country and you have two kids, a wife or a husband and two kids, and you're making $250,000, I hate to tell you this, but you're middle class. That is, you know, that is a lot of money in a lot of places. And a lot of money in a lot of places that makes you filthy rich to make a uh, quarter of a million dollars a year. But there are certain places where it doesn't. Everything's relative, right? If your house, if houses and, and schools and all this cost so much money, then that's not a lot of money. But the point is, the one thing it's not anywhere is wealthy, by which I mean that you don't have to work. If you're making a quarter of a million dollars a year, you still have to work. You're not going to retire on that salary forever the way you are if you make a billion dollars. If you make a billion dollars, you never have to work again. That's rich. The guy with a billion dollars, the Warren Buffetts in the world, they're never getting taxed. No tax that they ever pass is ever going to touch them. Okay, so what they're doing is they're squeezing what is essentially the middle class that you're estranged from because you're beneath that level, you know, so you think they're rich. They're squeezing the upper middle class to give stuff to the poor, which keeps them poor, by the way, to give stuff to the poor, to buy power for the rich. They're buying power for the rich. That's why Wall Street is contributing to Hillary Clinton and not Donald Trump, because she, the left is always empowering the rich with more regulations that only the rich can afford to, uh, to maneuver through, with more taxes that the rich don't pay. Everything they do makes creates this greater divide. That's why over the last eight years under this leftist administration, the inequality has risen because the rich are favored. Big government favors big business and wealth. It always does. Okay, let's but let's also talk about the fact that it's not just the bias of the mainstream media. It's all the media. YouTube, we found out. We make the Dennis Prager videos here. That I don't, but at Forward Publishing, they make the Dennis Prager videos. We found out that they're being restricted, that if you go to a place that restricts videos on YouTube, Dennis Prager, you know, a, a, guy, a guy who just puts forward conservative principles in an educational way, that's all he does. You can't get him if you restrict certain kind of content. I'd like to know if there is one left-wing video maker who gets restricted. I'd like to know. YouTube, Twitter is is banning Project Veritas, the James O'Keefe site where he does those uh, guerrilla videos. They have banned him because he said, I've got some real bombshells coming about the left. If you want to attack Donald Trump, I'm going to show you what they really say on the left. So they banned him off Twitter before he could even do anything. You know, this is this censorship is making people crazy. It makes people crazy. And so they're right. The New York Times is right that people are starting to say really ugly things. Here's here's a voter at a Trump rally just stepping forward and telling saying how she feels. Our lives depend on this election. Our kids' futures depend on this election. And I will tell you, just for me, and I don't want this to happen, but I will tell you for me personally, if Hillary Clinton gets in, I myself, I'm ready for a revolution because we can't have her in. Yeah, you don't, don't say but that. But I'm just saying it. No, you know, I'm like Trump. You know, I'm, am I, do I not speak for people here? Do I not saying the truth, guys? Come on. Yeah, there's a revolution coming on November the 8th. I promise you. There's... What, 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 what are we going to do to safeguard our votes? Because well, we've seen how the Democratic Party is just crooked, crooked, crooked. So 
Pence, of course, is right. Revolutions are always bad. You know, there's only one revolution in, in two revolutions that have ever worked. One was the, the English Civil War. It wasn't really a revolution. And the other was the American Revolution. Every other revolution leads to tyranny. I mean, so that's so you don't you obviously don't want a revolution. That's not what's going on. But if we want to talk about violence, if we want to talk about people being violent and people being, you know, who got firebombed? Who got firebombed? The Republicans got firebombed in North Carolina. And first, first of all, by the way, I have to say, Donald Trump, the, <laughs> you know, what's happened in this election is the Republican Party machine broke down. So we got the worst candidate and the Democratic machine worked perfectly. So they got the worst candidate. What we do by accident, they do on purpose. That's why we're all arguing with each other on the right. But the left is fine. Hillary Clinton, she's corrupt. We love her. She's perfect. She'll get more power where we're going like, this is awful. We've got this terrible guy. You know, so they do it on purpose. <laughs> the the Republican office in Hillsborough, North Carolina, gets firebombed, and there's graffiti saying Nazis, Nazi Republicans go home. And Donald Trump tweets, Anim animals, <laughs> guy's an idiot, animals representing Hillary Clinton and Dems in North Carolina just firebombed our office in Orange County because we are winning. First of all, they're not. They're not winning in North Carolina. <laughs> so that's ridiculous. And he's blaming Hillary Clinton. We don't know. We don't know who do it, did it. But, but Donald Trump is not the media. Brian Stelter, formerly of the New York Times, a former newspaper, now of CNN, of, I don't know what, whether they were ever a news organization. Look who's he, who he's blaming for the bombing. So the Arizona Republic getting so many death threats over an endorsement is an example of how, how overheated the rhetoric is. Another example out of North Carolina today, the firebombing of a local GOP office. Yeah. We have no idea who's done this. We don't know if it's a Republican, a Democrat, a movement, no idea. Could be some sort of extremist, some sort of, some sort of radical. Hopefully we'll get more information soon. But that kind of action is unacceptable. Mm -hmm. And uh, we need to have the temperature come down on all sides right now. Unfortunately, Donald Trump is the lead in terms of raising the temperature mm -hmm. at, at this moment in time. Wait, what? <laughs> it's Donald Trump's fault that the Republican office got bombed? I mean, this is our media at work. This is the media at work. You know, all I can tell you is it's the media corruption, the media lies that made Donald Trump and I've said this from the very beginning, that made Donald Trump sound like a viable candidate. Donald Trump would never have sounded like a viable candidate if we weren't so tired of this absolute fog, this mi miasma of dishonesty that our mainstream media throw up. They are Trump. They are Trump, and Trump is a manifestation of them, and they should, they should be held to account. I don't want any violence against anybody, and it's not even against the media, whom I despise. But, you know, John Nolte at at my house once said to me that every time they expose a private citizen or unfairly expose somebody like Mitt Romney, we should have a task force that exposes the reporter who did it. You cheating with your wife? You know, is Ken Bone, Ken Bone looking at porn? How about the person who reported that? What's he doing? And I told Nolte I thought that was a terrible, terrible thing to do. But you know what? It's one of the, thi it's one of the things we should consider. The other thing we should be asking ourselves every day is why don't we have a YouTube? Not a conservative YouTube, a fair YouTube. Why don't we have a network? Not a conservative network, a fair network. Why don't we have a Twitter? Not a conservative Twitter, but a fair Twitter, one that won't ban Dennis Prager, one that won't ban Project Veritas. Why are, why are they so much better at this than we are? And those are the questions we should start asking ourselves instead of being always in a panic about the next crisis. We should be looking and playing the long game. Speaking of the long game, let's move on to culture. And through the miracle of technology, we have our cultural correspondent, Michael Knowles, 
it's just amazing the, the reception we are getting now. Before, I know we were having a hard time, but now we've clean, cleared this up. And so we have Knowles reporting on the cultural scene over the weekend. Michael, can you come in? There he is. We, hey. Hey, that's amazing. Hey. That is that's so clear. And I, wow. and I see you've got the latest technology to communicate with us through the, yeah. That's right. I can hear you very well. That's amazing. <laughs> so so how do you spend your weekend, I'm afraid to ask? Well, I'm actually here to evangelize, Drew, because I spent the weekend on one of our favorite websites, Everyday Feminism. Oh, I love one that website. One of the greatest <laughs> gifts to mankind. Yeah, and right. I actually took their hour and a half long webinar on healing toxic whiteness. <laughs> you know, I don't think it worked. I'm looking at you. Right. Still, I'm a little swarthier, maybe. I don't know if that was just uh, being out yeah, in the sun. You got a little swarthier. That's good. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, all right. So there's there's an actual hour and a half webinar. Well, no, there's actually a 10-week course that you can take for only $297. Oh, no wonder you're still white. So you didn't you didn't spend the money. That's why. Well, unfortunately, I showed up a little late. The course already happened. But I did get to take the webinar. And it, it, it is really incredible. And it gives me actually a lot more respect for everyday feminism. But I'll, I'll get to that. Okay. So the, the premise of the course is, of course, that uh, you and I are racist. And we're, we're just racist. And the minute that we think, well, you know, I don't judge people on their race. Maybe I'm not. That's how you know that you're racist. When you find out you're not racist, that's how you know you're racist. That's how you know. That's yeah. right. Okay. And the whole premise is, is these implicit biases. And it, it really, it has all of the hallmarks of a kind of cultish religion. It has every single hallmark. It has original sin, which is the implicit bias. It has indulgences. It sells indulgences, which is this $300 course that you can take to heal your white, <laughs> yeah. whiteness. You know, yeah. uh, It has its clerics, which is Sandra Kim, who is sort of the, the feminist left-wing pope. Uh, she's the person who runs everyday feminism. It has its, you know, its panels of people, and it has these sort of rituals. And what was really incredible is during this webinar, they would ask you these questions and then ask you where you felt it on your body. So like, you know, to think about the last time you talked to a black person and then where that, did you feel a tingling in your leg? <laughs> did like Chris Matthews when he saw Barack Obama, yeah. you know, did he? Yeah. yeah. So wait, you, the last time you talked to a black person, where did you feel it in your body? That's, that's the question they asked. <laughs> you know, wow. Now that you say it that way, it really makes me rethink okay. the webinar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. I'm, I, I think I'm following you so far. Yeah. That's okay. right. So, but the, what's amazing? So I read an interview with this woman, Sandra King, uh, Sandra Kim, in Vice magazine, and they said, "So, you know, you're a, you're the new activist leader." That she says, "Yes." You have a new method of activism. She says, "Yes." I said, "But you're not a nonprofit." She says, no, we have a new method of activism, and we're going to align all of the incentives and make sure that the, the mission comes first. But we want to make sure that it's sustainable and this and that. And she's just milking it. It's she's a, a capitalist. She's a capitalist. God bless her. I'm not joking when I say I have much more respect for her. She sees an opportunity. It's like these companies that sell carbon offsets, you know, like you, you fly across the country and you pay them $200 more and they plant a tree or something, you know, and that's what she's doing. And she realizes she can monetize white guilt and just milk it for that, everything it's worth. I mean, right. that, that actually raises her in my esteem. That, that's that, right. That, that is so, so did they tell you how to cure your toxic whiteness? I mean, did they give you some tips? On yeah. Well, I guess I have to tell you, this is probably the last time I'll be able to come on the show because what I need to do, just yeah. like any other cult, is to dissociate from toxic people. 
up the <laughs> looking in, the wrong, in your direction, you're in Mr. Clavin. Pla- you're in the wrong place, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to. I mean, there there was one panelist who said she has a brother who's a Republican, and she still tries to connect with him over meals. But ever since she's become conscious and woke. That's one of the words they use is woke. They woke. Yeah. When you become conscious, it's been very, very hard. And I, I actually think we conservatives are the only people left on earth who are not calling for a white racial consciousness. <laughs> it's, so, it's so true. They use the exact phrase. They say what we need is a new white racial consciousness, which is what Sam Francis, you know, one of the this proto-alt-right people called for 20 years ago. But, the, but that's very cult-like to try and separate you from your family and your loved ones that's and make right. sure you're only surrounded by people who share your opinions. And, your, you know, that's that's a real cult. Let me ask you this. Uh, one, yeah. one last question before we let you go back to your planet. To Neptune. Yeah, yeah to Neptune. Uh, w- you know, it always bothers me when there's, say, a Tea Party rally and uh, five million people show up and one clown on the outskirts of the thing has a racist sign and the right. media rush and they ca- use him to characterize the entire movement. I mean, that every movement has nutbags. Are we doing that to them when we look at these crazy people? I did worry about that over the weekend, and I, I would still do it anyway, but I of did course, want to be well, for, for the laughs, myself, if only yeah. for the laughs, yeah. But I actually don't think that's what it is. I think... You know, everyday feminism and this cult that they've created is is pretty kooky, but it and it is the one of the more extreme versions of the left. But it's only different in degree. Uh-huh. It, it's only it all of this shared premises, white guilt, anti-Westernism. Uh, you know, all of these sorts of things are inherent across the spectrum of the left. They just bring it out, and, you know, and monetize yeah, that's it. That's a fair answer. That's a Where, good whereas answer. for us, you know, the a neo-Nazi who shows up to a Tea Party rally really is different in kind, yes. I think. Yes, that's yeah. an excellent answer. Michael Knowles, our cultural correspondent, take that phone with you when you leave the room so you can I'll contact you. it when you come back. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. That was great. All right, I've got a great Halloween stuff I like. I should see if I if I had any kind of uh, cleverness about what I'm doing here, I would have promoted this at the beginning because you really want to hear this Halloween stuff I like. I just finished, it took me, it, it must have taken me three days because I binged it. I just finished a game called Inside. And, I, you know, I'm just going to play, because if you don't subscribe, you won't be able to see this, and it's a silent game. And uh, But just, just play a few seconds of the promo for this, because it really is a beautiful thing to look at. What you're seeing is you're seeing this rain-swept place of, of mystery. Uh, there's farms, but there's all these dead pigs, and there's this one little kid kind of moving through uh, the, this landscape that goes from urban to factory, and there are like zombies around. It's all very mysterious. Oh, all right, you can you can kill it. It's made by the same people who made that wonderful, wonderful puzzle game Limbo, and oh, yeah. you know. I, I get a lot of uh, people who know that I'm a gamer, they're always asking me, did you play this, did you play that? And it's always things like The Last of Us, because the, la- the story, The Last of Us is a zombie game, and the story is, is better, and the emotional uh, relationships between the people is better than most games. But my problem with games like that, and I did play it, I didn't finish it, but I did play it, is that no matter what the story is, it's always the same game. It's you walk around and then you shoot zombies. You walk around and then you shoot zombies. And sometimes there's a clever scene, sometimes there's not a clever way of doing it, but it's the same game over and over again, and I'm getting tired of it. You know, I got, I've gotten tired of that system, and it's just like you're telling me that story, but I could read a book instead, and it's it's more fun. But these guys, these guys who make uh, indies, who make games like Braid and Limbo, and now they've made Inside, it's Play Dead is the name of the developer, 
they're, they're doing something really original with puzzle gaming so that the puzzle brings you into the character's mind. And by making the story a little vaguer, you don't really know what's going on ever in this game. It just gives it this eerie feeling that just sticks with you after it's over. And I couldn't wait to get back to it. I mean, I was sitting up late at night playing it, and I don't have a lot of time for playing games. You know, I don't have a lot. You know, it usually takes me months to get through a game because I can play like 10 minutes. But I was making time. I mean, I was just finding ways to play this game because it was so involving. Really eerie, really weird. I would say things, I would say more about it and discuss it at length, but I don't want to give away the ending, which I'd have to do to, to talk about some of my thoughts about the game. But for Halloween, and the thing, oh, the other thing about this is I think you can get it on a computer. It, you can get it on Xbox, and you can get it on Microsoft Windows. That was the word I was trying to think of when I was describing it to you, Microsoft Windows. And, and you, I played it on PlayStation 4, which was great. So if you have a computer that uses Windows of any kind, you can get it on that, or if you have an Xbox or a PlayStation 4, Eventually, like Limbo, it'll probably come out on some kind of app. But um, but it's a game. It's also if you don't play games, it's still good because you're not running around shooting. You're not doing all this stuff. It's still a game that anybody could play. Inside, terrific game. I would say on a scale of one to ten, it's like a nine point five. It's really excellent. That's it. That's it. We're going to come back tomorrow. This is the, the last debate is this week, right? That's Wednesday, so that will be there for that on Wednesday. We do have the mailbag. That's the other thing. You've got to get your questions in for the mailbag. You've got to subscribe if you want to do that. Talk to me. I will answer all your questions, and I'll be back to answer more questions tomorrow. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show.